Hi there, uh, Mr. Pinbacker, is that right? Yes, that's right, Admiral Pinbacker. Of course, sorry, Admiral. Uh, yeah. We are looking for a captain for this new project called Icarus One, and uh, we think you might be a good fit. Do you know much about the project? Um, I have heard uh, broad strokes. I know that our sun is dying and that you want to send somebody to go reignite the sun, and I just want to say that I am fully prepared, and I would love to do it. My entire Pinbacker family has my support. Uh, they've been uh, pilots and researchers, and, and I'm, I'm very excited to go. Cool. Well, we just want to make sure that you, you know, will have the right criteria for, for being on this very dangerous trip. I mean, what do you think about um, the danger of your, your life? You might not make it back, and we want to see if you and your family are prepared for that. As a pinbacker, I can tell you I am fully prepared to die for this. The, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, and, and especially the needs of the one, to quote Spock, and uh, I really think that it, my, my sacrifice will be worth it, and plus I'll hopefully get to spend eternity with the sun, uh, our overlord. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I mean, hopefully not. Uh, you, hopefully well, yeah, sure. Ideally, I come back, of course, with the crew intact. Uh, but I'm just saying, worst case scenario, if I'm hanging out with the sun for the rest of my life, then I'll be at peace. When you when you say hanging out with the sun, I mean, mm -hmm. in reality, you might be on a ship by yourself for decades. Uh, yeah, that would be fine, too. I think as long as I have the sun's presence near me, then I'll be in a state of uh, peace and of joy. And, uh, and, you know, we're all supposed to go to heaven at some point, so if I have to go early or if the rest of the crew does, then that's fine. What, what, what is your relationship with the sun? I feel like you have an interesting take on things. Well, the sun is the epicenter of life. It's the whole reason that we're all here and alive. I, I think of it as my father and my mother and the Holy Spirit. I think those who don't hail the sun are incredibly wrong and they will burn in the afterlife. You seem perfect. Great. <laughs> Bad science. Did the movie get it right? Bad science. Or will we have to fight? Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Bad Science. I'm Ethan Edinburgh, and today I'm joined by two absolutely lovely guests to talk about Danny Boyle's 2007 film, Sunshine. Uh, first, I'll introduce them, of course, a wonderful stand-up comedian and writer and good friend of mine, I would say, Brad Solnitzer. Yeah, pretty good. I mean, we're friends. I mean, <laughs> pretty good friends? The qualifier. We're fine. Would you ask me for a ride to the airport? No. Yeah, so I feel I would feel rude about that. We're friends. Yeah, just friends. Good friends. Good friends. Drive friends to the airport. Yeah, or like if I see you somewhere and I don't really know anybody else, then it's like, oh, we're really good. No, friends No, then we're best now. friends yes. in the moment. Right. Like it's all, yeah, it's all relative. <laughs> yeah, all like relative. We're best friends at a party where both of us don't know anyone else. Yes, and speaking of relativity, we have here a scientist, uh, a systems engineer at the Jet Propulsion's laboratory, uh, Bobak Ferdosi. Ferdosi, that's right. Yeah, I did say. Yeah, that. you did. You got oh, it. Oh, okay. okay. Ferdosi. See, once I get the doubt in my head, it's. Like it's nonstop, you know. Right. No, I'm I'm on the record as Bobby Ferdowsi, and uh, <laughs> while I work at JPL or NASA's Jet Propulsion Library, I of course I'm not representing their opinions about Danny Boyle's Sunshine. Ah, uh, this is just my own. This is just your yeah. personal opinions, That's not right. the opinions I actually of the government. Am not the official. There. Are you? Are you I'm, you're I'm, here. I'm representing NASA? the NASA Fantastic. Jet Propulsion <laughs> okay, Laboratory's good. opinions on but, Sunshine. I mean, that's why I brought uh, Bob you, back in. So yeah, yeah, I'm too. glad that somebody's here doing <laughs> yeah. it. Um, well, what's your personal take on Sunshine? I loved it. I mean, this is maybe the third time I watched it in preparation for this, and I enjoyed it. And I was thinking, like, there's a pretty good cast in here. You've got Danny Boyle as a great director. Why yep. didn't this movie 
make do, a bigger splash. Yeah, make a bigger yeah. splash. I was talking to people, and people were like, I've never heard of that movie. I know, it's crazy. Because it was in between 28 Days Later, his smash hit, right. and Slumdog Millionaire, his other smash hit. Yeah, but why wouldn't, that would prove to me like more people would see it. No, I know, I ran out to see this because I love 28 Days Later so yeah. much. And what did you think? You ran. You ran out. Sort of implies that like maybe you were let down. I was excited. Okay, but I no, I meant like no, I after ran out you, of the theater. Yeah, I, no, I, I ran out of the theater uh, in anger because all the science was wrong. And that's NASA's yeah. official opinion. Um, <laughs> okay, I'll see you next time. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I thought it was good too. I had a great time watching this movie. I hadn't seen it probably since then, or mm. I don't know, around then. But this was my second time, yeah, watching it. But I greatly enjoyed it. I had a few uh, issues, which I'm sure we'll get into, but in general I thought it was a really fun movie I have the same opinion that I had when I saw it originally this is my second time seeing right. it originally when I saw it in 2007 in theaters that I had run to mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> because I was so excited out of Andy breath Coyle. watching this yeah, movie yeah I was very sweaty um, <laughs> I was all horned up <laughs> for the movie uh, specifically and Killian Murphy he's a, got beautiful eyes oh um, man let's, by the way we will take a second later to talk about how both Killian Murphy and Chris Pine yep. are uglier oh uh, Chris Evans this, oh Chris Evans yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, wrong Chris but and Chris Evans are uglier in this movie than they normally are yeah and they wanted that, to true. Which make... it seems scientifically accurate for space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, but okay, my thought on this movie, yeah. before we get into anything science, is that 80% of it is a great movie. Okay. And, and I... then and then the last little bit. So to be clear, we're talking about the first 80%. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm on the same page. The first 80% mm-hmm. and then the dude shows up. Yeah. Then the, the, I am the captain now. The old captain. <laughs> the old captain now. <laughs> the old captain in. now. Comes in and then Yeah, that really... was a popular opinion online as well. A lot of people had this issue with the third act of the film mm-hmm. where it, it like, it almost changes genre, I would say. It, it like suddenly becomes more of like a stalker uh, horror yeah. film, right? Yeah. So... I don't know. How do you did it, did it turn you off of the movie? Because it seems like we all got a positive reaction from the film still. So I still enjoy it, but I agree that I mean I kind of at this point I manage expectations, right? Where I am like I know the last part's going to be like <laughs> all right, well yeah that happens. You know what bothered me? This is like a really weird particular thing maybe, but he started doing those like out of focus shots a mm. lot towards yeah. the end there, and I honestly I would maybe it's because feel... you lose focus in space, <laughs> right? <laughs> when you get gravity size with that, that's oh, right. So, yeah, so yeah, there's yeah. some signs there. Bam, <laughs> see <laughs> official NASA representative Brad Solinger. Um Yeah. I, th- I thought on it, I would be down with the whole like horror stalking guy uh, chase thing if I could see most of it. But I just felt like I was uh, dizzy or like nauseous watching some of it because it was like out of focus and like all these weird angles and stuff. So that that I don't know. It kind of took me out of it. I guess there were some weird. I mean, there's. I thought they worked, but some of them were definitely weird choices. Like that when they first. Enter Icarus One, hmm. the flashing like right that the faces uh, of the that thing. I dug honestly. I, I like, was like, what, oh, what just happened? The first time you see, it, you're like, what just happened? Like, was that and intentional? You, yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, it's like the dicks in um, Fight Club. Fight Club. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I honestly, I love that stuff. He Fight Club <laughs> dicked us, but with people who had previously died that we hadn't met yet. <laughs> yeah. And then he just kept Fight Clubbing us until we really got it. Yeah. yeah. Now, do we assume people listening to the podcast have seen the move? This yes. very unpopular movie. <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, first of all, let me say obviously we're we're giving away some stuff already but you should go watch this movie i would recommend it it sounds like you guys recommend it too it's a fun sci-fi movie all the acting was great um I, obviously, we all have some issues with it. Seems yeah. like all the same part. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, go watch NASA it. Two official NASA thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> two official NASA, NASA thumbs up <laughs> and one uh, schmuck thumbs up. Can we do a plot review? 
A plot review. Okay, uh, so the sun, it's not that the sun is dying. I, I look this up and I have no, something the sun, about what, it. They don't they literally say yeah, in the open monologue, the sun is dying? Yeah. What do you mean it's not that the sun is dying? That's so, a very nice fade from the Fox logo into, into the sun. sun which That's true. Okay, it's implied at the start of the movie is right that the sun's intensity is much lower than yeah, it's dying. needed for Earth to, to say that it's dying. It's fucking, right. dying. It's fucking it's dying and that's all that there is to it. Uh, right. Okay. The sun's on its deathbed. So, so wait, so it is so it like it's gonna burn it, uh, cooler or something. It's gonna burn uh, that's less. That's the impression that, that I got. Will... I mean, well, okay. so what you're sort of effect, effectively retconning for those of us who watch the movie because that's definitely not in the movie, right? No, uh, is right. This implication that this stellar bomb that they have to deliver mm-hmm. to the sun will break up this whatever cue ball, right? And right. allow the sun to resume its normal rate of. Of I'm assuming uh, fusion is that sure. right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but so okay. The, the wait. Pl- here's the plot of the movie. <laughs> here's the plot of the movie. <laughs> Go the ahead, plot Brad. of the movie is that the the sun's dying. Yep. So they send scientists to save the sun. The yes. second round the of second, science. Yeah. This the first round of scientists. We've already yeah didn't already make it. Made it to a certain. So point, they yeah. mine right. Earth for all of the leftover matter that could possibly make this bomb mm-hmm. that could reignite the sun. Yep. They made it very clear this is their last chance. Yep. Right? And these guys go off to space to <laughs> reignite sa- the sun. To reignite the sun to save the human yes. race. Which sounds like when you explain the plot like that, which is incredibly accurate, great job, Brad. Uh, it's going to be this like action-packed film, like a classic sci-fi. I don't know like what the Armageddon, core. the core, right? Sure, but classic. it's really not that. It's really this like much more uh, like delicate. Uh, I don't know, like suspenseful acting uh, foray into space, which I really I liked. You know, I've, a lot of these movies, it's just you know what happens wrong next. You know, and it's yeah. just a bunch of things that they're trying to fix or save or whatever. Um, and and there are a few things, but in general, it's like a slow-moving, patient film, which I really dug. But they they do keep the suspense high from from the beginning. Yes, there's they're all they all somehow fall in love with the sun. That happens. They all love. There's that one guy who just like loves some staring. more than others for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They is look that at scientifically? The, there's a falling in love if with you the get sun. Close to the I'm sun, not a psychologist. Fall in love with I, it. But I I could see it being. I mean, right? It's been worshipped as a right. I mean, DNA in the past. So I guess it does make some sense that yeah, some people would be susceptible to that. Yeah. Kind of. What about you personally? You like? Uh, Do I worship the sun? Yeah. I have not. I have not partaken in any sun worshiping. No. Uh, you never no. sacrificed someone no. to uh, keep. The I mean, sun I enjoy burning. like equinox. I'm like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Like, you know, uh-huh. the, the axial tilt of the Earth is neat. But yeah, when I was in yeah. this is how dumb I am, Mister Scientist. Uh, <laughs> oh. When I was in elementary school, I was the kid who got in trouble during the eclipse for looking at the sun. Oh no! They wouldn't let me out for the next <laughs> yeah. eclipse. I had to be kept inside. Yeah. Listeners, you should know he's wearing glasses and maybe correlated. Yeah, I yeah. Took the, I started taking the glasses. Yeah, okay. The glasses. This is all fashion. There's not even glass. Oh no. There is. Uh, oh, I forgot. <laughs> Um, okay, there was actually a, a few scenes where they're looking at the sun and and like messing with the percentage of sunlight that they're allowing yeah. inside. So I wanted your take on that because it's like the first scene in the movie. What's his name? Cero or something like yeah, that? Yeah, the, the sun lover. Cero. Yeah, sun lover is, is more for me memorable <laughs> name for him. Um, so he's in there and he's Sounds saying- Sounds very Oedipal though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no. Yeah. Different Good catch. Good catch. <laughs> so he, uh, he's in there, he's looking out and he's saying, saying like Icarus he talks to the ship the ship is called Icarus he said Icarus uh, uh, let me put this on at like 4% and she says like 4% will be irreversible damage but you can do 3.1% for 30 seconds right and so he does that and it's like a really intense scene and so I just wanted your like take on like how does that how would that affect us if we 
were to take in parts. I mean, I certainly can't speak to like the physical damage that, of course, that, that would happen to your retinas and everything. That's what they warned in that movie. Mm-hmm. I suspect it. I mean, mostly what struck me in that scene was it was a weird thing to put a window in a spaceship that has to mostly block the sun, right? Like, right. oh, we're going to put this one point yes. where sun can get in. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and it's a whole room dedicated yeah, just, just to that. There's right. nothing else in the fucking room, right? I, yeah, I thought that was a surprise because, you know, like for most of the things that you need to block sun, like heavy quartz glass or whatever, right, to like essentially not let that much heat in. Yeah. I was, it was a choice. But I guess, I mean, it's obviously, it's a, it's a movie choice, not a... Right. It doesn't have to be practical. But I don't know, I mean, I'm assuming that they just had some ability, like a pixels or whatever right to block more or less of the sun Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah i really didn't i i loved the optics of it and i could see why they use it as a plot device in the mm -hmm. film but i couldn't help but think logically like why would you design a spaceship with this room that's just to look out upon the sun which you're not supposed to look at yeah I would assume that there's like maybe just the the human (laughs) element right yeah yeah but, you know, I, I mean, so there's a right, of course, we, we do fly airplanes largely on sensor data today, mm-hmm. but you still have a cockpit for people to look out in the small window. So it's not that, you know, there there are, I guess, analogs even in the world today that kind of would imply that maybe you do need a, a windowed room, but it wasn't a control room. It wasn't something where you're like, I'm going to joystick from this room in case, you know, I don't know, we're coming up on the sun and I realize that we're not over the coronal spot that I need to drop this stellar bomb. It was just yeah. sort of like a, it felt, felt very much like a, Go and look at the sunroom. <laughs> yeah, which I think is room. nice. It was nice. <laughs> it's, a nice it's a nice touch. It was sure. nice. It was second place for me to uh, the my favorite room, which was the Earth uh, VR room. Yeah. I don't know. Oh what yeah, to that call was it. the psych room. Yeah, yeah, that I thought was great. Yeah, they had a room where the the the, the psychiatric professional was he a psychiatrist? Yeah, psychi- the, the craziest guy. Yeah, by the, the way. craziest guy on the ship. <laughs> Classic. Classic literary move, making the psych guy the crazy guy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's this room that you could be uh, prescribed yes. in order to, you know, level yourself out. Um, right. And it was a room that was a VR room where you could just experience Earth things. Yes. But yes. Well, it was weird because uh, you're you're absolutely right, right? It was prescribed, but I was like, why wouldn't you just go there? Like, why wouldn't you have an All hour the in there every day? Do you I, know what I, I mean? Like, about why is it like thing. your punishment is you spend an hour? in this beautiful place that can simulate forests. Yeah. And, it was also know. a little on the nose. It's like, oh, people are losing their humanity. Let's <laughs> prescribe them literal humanity. Yeah. Yeah. To remind them, no, I like, I did like it though. Also, I was imagining watching porn in that room. Oh. Anybody else? <laughs> did not cross my mind. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, mine either. Just yeah. kidding. Uh, you read that from some yeah, anonymous just, blogger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, but it would, I feel like, reinforce people to get into fights because why would you not want to spend time in that room? It's so cool. It reminds right. you of Earth. It's like, well, if I punch this guy in the face, I get two hours in the room. In the Earth room, watching waves hit yeah, women. Boat. <laughs> yeah, waves hitting women. <laughs> pretty, pretty misogynistic film. That was if you think about it. <laughs> um, okay, so they, I have so many, by the way, like random things that I wrote down. Okay. Right, I have a question. Movie. Yeah, go. Science anytime, question. anytime. Did yes. this spaceship need, was there any good reason why this ship needed to be manned? Because if you hmm. get something on basically the correct trajectory in space, won't it just keep going in that direction unless something physically hits it? So, okay, there, there's a, there is a trick. You cannot really point things at the sun and just shoot, right? Just because of orbital mechanics. Uh, right. but we were talking about that the other day. We don't have to, yeah. I know we don't have to go over basic orbital mechanics <laughs> for anybody here. Um, but uh, I think that the, the truth is 
as much as, and obviously had a very intelligent computer system, but so much of that kind of stuff does require, like you see them actually doing a little bit of maintenance work, mm-hmm. right? So even if I, you know, you could automate a fair amount of it, but I think there's always that room for error and like, did you design all the right systems correctly? Uh, and do you not want some logic in the loop, some ability to override? Although again, the computer does take over many times, which you know, and that's a balance we we play in in, in real spaceflight as well. Like, what's the balance between trusting humans to do a job versus an automated system that can make reactions in you know microseconds, not seconds? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it did make sense if this is your last or you know your only two op- opportunities to restart the sun that you would want a largely automated system, but you would want humans still present there, I, I I think. Yeah. Well, that was a big a big question in the movie, though, was how much do you trust human intuition, human intelligence, human decision-making versus the intelligence of a computer, right? Mm-hmm. Because they had to decide whether or not they were going to. So a big plot point in the movie, for those of you who maybe haven't <laughs> seen it, or those who need a little reminder, is that when they're, they're on their way, they're going to make it to the sun, they have everything they need, but they have a chance to go on to Icarus 1, the spaceship that, they, that had not previously made it, mm-hmm. right? Um, for whatever reason, they see that ship and they have a chance to go potentially get a second payload. Right. And that, but that's a big thing. It's like, do you do it or do you not? Yeah. And that's, just, but that's the kind of tr- question you cannot trust an automated system, right, to, to do. It would be very hard to program on the fly. So that, I mean, that's the, right, the inherent weakness, of course, of highly automated systems is they are not really dynamic, meaning that you program to do a job and if your programming was wrong or you need to adjust it entirely, like let's go to a different place, it's non trivial, whereas a human right can maybe at some risk, and in fact, right, the, yeah. the movie shows that they, they made mistakes in the calculations, but right, I mean, that they could make that adjustment in, in real time. Mm. Yeah, so what? how would you, uh, like, because they didn't really explain how they were approaching the sun. Mm-hmm. So you were talking about orbital mechanics, which obviously yeah. we know all about. Right. But, but so, just in case. But just in but case. Just in case, yeah. uh, like, for some reason, <laughs> I have never heard that word before. Yeah, yeah let's say, theoretically, an 11-year-old is listening to this mm-hmm. who doesn't know about orbital mechanics. Right. Uh, how would you uh, approach the sun? How do you, like, design that route? So, yeah, I mean, we actually, so there's a great example of it now with Parker Solar Probe, which is this this um, mission that is uh, investigating the sun. And you have to remember, when you leave Earth, you're sort of going in the same direction as Earth, right? So Earth has a momentum, and of course, you leave Earth, and you're going to go in a circle around the sun. So you can't just turn and start aiming inwards because your your momentum is actually going to carry you out right in the same path. And then the gravity that's also pulling you in from the sun is going to curve your thing. So you basically do a circle around the sun. So what you want to do is actually slow down a little bit. And as you slow down, what you're doing is you're still going in the same direction as Earth, but the gravity, right, if you think of the, the two angles, as a, a right angle, one going straight out and one going towards the sun. Now the, the, the size that's pulling you in is a little bit more than the one that's kind of keeping you going straight in a circle or straight slash in a circle. And so you start falling in towards the sun. Mm-hmm. And so the more you can slow down, the more you can sort of fall in towards the sun. And that's kind of the way you would do it, right? Like trying to aim straight towards the sun would actually just require a tremendous amount of fuel. Mm-hmm. But if you basically just decelerate and slow down, which is effectively what Parker Solar Probe did is it left the Earth. And then, of course, now it's doing flybys of Venus and, and uh, to slow down more, but it basically is just trying to lose energy so it keeps falling in wow. towards the sun. Cool. And so you're going to kind of end up at some level looking like you're traveling as a, you know, as a circle going from the big circle of Earth towards a very small circle kind of right at the sun. And this Parker Solar Probe? Mm-hmm, Parker Solar Probe. It, this is a recent, I have not heard of this. Yeah, it launched uh, last year. Okay. And uh, they, it's going to be going on, I think, till 2025. But each time it gets a little closer to the sun, its final, I think, uh, approach to the sun is about 
four and a half solar radii from the surface, or sorry, four and a half solar diameters from the surface. Whoa. So, uh, right, if you imagine the sun, and um, what you'll do is you could imagine it's only going to be four and a half suns away from the, the, the surface of the sun. It's well into the, the area, of course, where the sun's influence is dominant, the corona, but it's... And it's going to measure solar winds, flares? That's right. So actually, Parker, Eugene Parker, is uh, the person who coined the term solar winds. Oh, okay. And so it was named after him. Cool. He's still alive. Uh, he was there at the launch. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it measures all these sort of effects that are going on with this, this, all these properties of the, the corona and the, and the solar magnetic fields and everything else. And the idea is to understand, you know, how to model that better. And it, it helps us here on Earth, of course, because we still see some of the impacts of it. Satellites that are right subject to these solar flares and things like that. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's you know, intent is initially scientific. And then, of course, we'll learn how to take that science and apply it to like things that we do here. Hmm. Uh, nice. But yeah, so they have a, I mean, in some ways, a lot, I mean, since we're on the subject, very similar to the Sunshine Space Guide, right? You have this big shield. Mm-hmm. In their case, uh, it's reflected with a more of a white surface. Okay. Uh, a, a kind of a, there's like a carbon shield between those. Like, I can't remember how many feet of, of carbon there is. Uh, and that's keeping right the sun. The surface there is, you know, going to get to I think thousands of degrees. But the back side stays, you know, in the high uh, double digits. Uh, so you're, you know, you can keep your electronics nice and relatively cool, but you know, you're rejecting most of the heat from the front. So very similar wow. to the, the the sunshine spacecraft. That's incredible. Universe. So that was going to be one of my main questions. Yeah. Is like, how does certain material react to being close to the sun yeah. because it seems you know I was watching just thinking like well, any material is going to just burn up I mean I don't know what Venus and Mercury are made of I'm sure you do uh, rocks but a bunch of rocks yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I guess it's like oh do we yeah, just that was my leading theory too was rocks rocks yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we are similar um, so yeah I guess we have certain uh, stuff that this shield is made of that can get really yeah, close so I, it's it you know it, here's the, the thing about the when you're in space you have to remember you're not in an oven right there's not air all around you that's superheated and therefore warming you from all sides okay what you're seeing is like if you imagine standing next to a fire right and like a, you know you go to have a bonfire or whatever you feel that kind of that warmth on the side of the fire mm-hmm. so most of the heat is shooting straight out the top mm-hmm. but some of it is sort of radiating towards you on the side right you feel like your pants get warm or whatever yeah and the same thing is happening in space so because there's not really atmosphere out there the side that's facing the sun is getting pretty warm, and the side that's facing the black of space is actually getting pretty cold. Oh. And so you play this trick of trying to manage it so that you don't heat up too much mm-hmm. on one side. Even in Earth orbit, you're having you already have that issue. So for astronauts, right, they have to be afraid. They have you know to be afraid of sitting in the sun for too long, or they need air conditioning units. Right. Conversely, if you're in the shade, you then need to make sure that well your body will do a pretty good job of keeping you warm for mm-hmm. a while at least. Um, but you have this thermal management. So like uh, you'll see radiators on the back sides of spacecraft. So they'll get hot on one side where they have computers and these radiators on the back are actually just trying to dump heat out towards the black of space. Wow. And so the same thing, you know, the Parker Solar Probe or the the two Icarus vehicles, you'd have a front side that's getting very hot, but for the most part, it's not really transferring heat backwards. So it's just like, think of it as a big shade, right? Right. Uh, and then if you paint the back of that black, as opposed to, you know, silver on the front, the black can radiate heat towards just the big darkness of space. But it's a balancing act. You're so that stuff was realistic when they were outside of the spacecraft and they were uh, fixing panels or something? So, yeah, I what I did, I, the only part that I couldn't quite understand is why you would put all these panels in. And my, my guess was they thought that if you could, you know, and I, I'd have to really think about this, you know, like, what would I do if I were designing the spacecraft? 
And my guess is that if you can kind of angle the, the panels to be more flat on sun, you have this ability to sort of shoot now lose heat out of the side of the right underneath the the panels uh-huh. otherwise i would just you know the way we would normally do this is just build a single solid object that's that big uh-huh. no moving parts because moving parts can fail that's always your in fact they do um so why why introduce this potential failure that doesn't need to exist Which unless then failed in that's right absolutely right. yeah yeah then. but the movie does a good job i actually was i was fairly impressed with how often they approach possible failure scenarios and actually have thought about it, right? It doesn't just sort of skip over. It doesn't sort of treat them as, don't worry, some, you know, magic happens and fixes it. Mm -hmm. It seemed like they were were thought out. Yeah. I mean, that's good to hear you say that. Can I ask you in general how you felt about the science of the movie? Like, because I I imagine as uh, the level of science you are and the type of science that you you do, that you watch a space movie and often, like, how does this compare to other ones and does it normally drive you crazy? Uh, it's It's a hit or miss. I think, you know, if movies aren't, internally consistent I'm actually pretty good with them so like the Star Trek Star Wars stuff usually fine with because I sort of accept the the, you know the upfront the rules that they're going to establish occasionally they'll just introduce new devices to save the day or to cause a problem and that that usually causes more of more of an issue than you know getting science wrong I don't expect every movie like I, I like sounds in space, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of it would be really boring if everything was just absolutely silent the yeah, whole time. Yeah, I was thinking about the sound in this movie. But you know, like Gravity, for example, uh, as flawed as that movie was, did a great job of doing sound design with you know you when you exited an, an air you know hatch or whatever, all of a sudden just go very quiet, mm-hmm. which would it was very powerful in that regard. Yeah, um, yes. doing it. So there's there's cool ways to, you know to use the science to your advantage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I want to hear lasers go like pew pew in space. I don't want to be like <laughs> yeah. oh, it's just like the lights shining on each other. Like that's not very. <laughs> Exciting. Yeah. yeah, no, the sound design. Uh, I, I liked a lot of the sounds in the movie, actually. Yeah. Were, like, uh, intense. So this movie didn't bother me. I, you know, I can't speak to the, the psychology of what happens to people in, you know, prolonged small groups and, uh, you know, things like that. So that that part, I you know, it didn't really didn't bother me as much. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I thought the movie did a lot right. I was, I was actually, I, you know, watching it sort of with that critique in mind, um, with, you know, specifically for, for today, I, I was like, I'm, oh, I'm pretty impressed. They, they seem to, nice. to know what they were doing more often and didn't really introduce too much just for the sake of plot or story. That's uh, good. Yeah. What about the part where the dude, where Chris Evans... Yes, uh, that's the right Chris. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the right <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is like, they, they propel them from one spaceship to the other. Oh, yeah. By, or spacecraft to the other by opening the door and then he's only wrapped in insulation. Yeah, I mean, if it's a short term, right, you have, so when you think about when you open these doors, you're not getting sucked out as much as the air behind you is sort of just going to push you out, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you're effectively getting like a big spring push. And if you can aim it well, you can get to the right place. Uh, and if it's a very short term, right, you're not going to freeze to death or die. You probably end up with a lot of the same issues that like people coming out of uh, or rising too quickly like while the they're scooping yeah, the bends, right? Mm. You probably end up with more issues like that than you do with... Oh, I'm you know gonna I'm gonna have uh, partially frozen limbs and things like that yeah, because it's a short period, right? Your skin will maybe freeze at the surface, but below that surface, very bad frostbite. Yeah, but I mean, it's gonna be surf- surface, and as quickly as that freezes, unless it prolongs, it's not gonna keep freezing lower and right. lower and deeper in the tissue. Like uh, what happened to Harvey? Yeah. who uh, basically got frozen yes. solid, yeah. and then like it seemed like 15, 20 seconds later hit that pole and then just shattered to pieces. And just for fun, we're just going to shatter him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I've, you know, I, I always feel like I should at some point think about the math and I don't know how quickly people freeze and like how long some of these things take. I know that movies obviously take liberties with that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, and right. that part I don't think 
should buy. Like, I don't get mad. No, in no, no. If I'm watching great. a movie about a stand-up comic and they make it six months before they're supposed to, like, time doesn't affect. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, to yeah. Me in movies, I don't care about time. Yeah, yeah. And it was just except fun. in except in uh, what's the Lady Gaga one? Uh, Star is born. Star is born really bugged me. That oh, I haven't seen. It. I haven't seen it either. Yeah. Very quick ascent at a certain point. I'm just like, I don't <laughs> believe it. I don't buy it. <laughs> it takes years yeah. to develop your voice <laughs> as an artist. Uh, the other uh, thing that bothered me, I was curious on your take, was that in there. Uh, space suits, those big gold uh, domey looking space suits, yeah. they had a very thin line of vision. Yeah. What, how'd you feel about that? I thought that actually made some sense, right? Okay. I mean, if you, I, well, you need, I, you'll, you'll need some visual, you know, visuals to operate and to work outside the, the spacecraft. Yep. Uh, and I'm, you know, my guess is always that whatever heat and things you're letting in through glass or in this, I'm assuming quartz or whatever material they made that kind of that that eyepiece out of, mm-hmm. it has to be pretty minimal, right? Like you can't afford a lot of heat because you're trying to keep yourself actively cool, right? I mean, they're sweating profusely inside there. You see them taking sips of water. Right. Um, so I'm guessing that, you know, you, you can't make a great body because you're going to start heating up. There's no way for you to lose heat that fast because there's no way for... You know, as I turn my body, I can't radiate heat constantly. So okay. it was a, it's always, I mean, that looked like a very short-term solution, but assuming they had to go out and quickly work on something, at least it gives them some mm-hmm. hand-eye coordination. I don't know, if, maybe with training I could use, like if someone just put a camera thing in front of me, I could operate That's my own hands. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's a possibility. I mean, you could have put, but cameras still need some glass, right? right? right. So why, well, just yeah. why introduce that, big, that one uh, extra thing that could fail? I was thinking about the sunroom when mm-hmm. they have all this glass. Yeah. I just thought like, oh, why not make that same material into most of their face? Yeah, thing? I would have to just... assume that sunroom has like, you know, either, again, we're sort of retconning at this point, but maybe some power demand to filter that much sun, right? And a way mm. that as you absorb that extra heat from the sun, you have a way of dissipating it somewhere else, right? Which the okay. spacecraft would have but a small, you know, yeah, relatively small suit, suit yeah. won't and, have. And we're definitely got it, got like it. in this movie taking a few leaps that basically yes. like Tony Stark exists and has created this <laughs> Icarus yes. computer well, program. I mean, but let's let's. I mean, if you were the last option of Earth, mm-hmm. you don't think that humanity could? I think humanity would bond a hundred percent to make something like this happen. Yeah. So that's the optimism, you know. Of, right. of but I'm this talking movie. about just the Icarus program. Yes. Like that mm-hmm. that level of artificial intelligence in a computer program that can communicate with humans so efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, what I'm saying is, you believe that that exists. Mm-hmm. But like it, the second you put that same technology into the suit, you're basically just watching Iron Man. That's yeah, what I'm saying. <laughs> True. right. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, although I will say that whole AI thing, when he's like realizing, like he's like talking to Icarus, and she's telling him like, "There's a fifth person on board." Oh, that was mm-hmm. great. That was a great moment. But why wait? to tell him that until that moment. I feel like as soon as you recognize as a computer that there's an unknown person aboard this ship, wouldn't you tell but everybody? Did the computer know who the people were on board? Yeah. It was besides a, it from said, voice? It said, it said everybody, yeah, because in that moment, yeah. the computer named everybody and That's said true. one yeah, unknown. Yeah, yeah. yeah one That's unknown, it. and it was like, yeah. what? That's Wait right. a minute, who is that? But there, wa- there wasn't any, I thought they did a good job because there wasn't any um, history in the movie of the computer just randomly being like, oh, and you should probably know this. So it was only right, them asking right. the computer. Question. Yeah, yeah, that happened. You're right. Another time when the uh, when the fire was was going down in the oxygen yeah. tank with the plants mm-hmm. and stuff, they the computer was very coy about the whole thing. Was yeah. telling them like <laughs> like oh, there you might.
might have to, you know, maneuver this way. And they're like, what? Why? And they're like, oh, there's a huge fire going on. Yeah. Oxygen garden. <laughs> it's yeah. like, what? Start with that. Oh, sorry. I'm a that. computer. I didn't think about you guys needing the oxygen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess, I mean, there definitely were some choices in how the, you know, the AI sort of opted to share information. I mean, that probably makes sense from a plot perspective to create yeah. some drama. But I was going to say, yeah, yeah, the drama but of it is great. We, we tend, I mean, like, I, you know, thinking back to our, our experiences, and of course, we, we do have to build an autonomy to a lot of the spacecraft, particularly the robotic spacecraft, because they go so far that, you know, the, the time between communication starts like, I mean, you see this in a little bit in the movie where they talk about how long the signal is going to take to get out because it's going to bounce off the moon or whatever, mm-hmm. which is minutes. It's on the order of minutes uh, from the sun. It's, you know, anywhere from, I guess, eight minutes uh, or so away. Uh when you start going out to outer planets, you get longer things. So, but, but the spacecraft have to sort of take care of themselves for a little bit. But we also then get data on Earth and figure out what's going on. So the spacecraft tends to only tell us like you know the high priority things. So where it's kind of like chatty are really when things are going wrong. Right. Which, right. So it does you know it does make sense on the one hand that it wouldn't constantly inform you of these low level issues like an extra person but <laughs> Look, you know, oh, yeah. there might be a murderer on board <laughs> I mean also I did see him detach the two ships from one another should yeah. I have told you that <laughs> yeah exactly yeah maybe, I, mean, good I point. don't know maybe good you should point. tell us that uh, he's made made. we've just killed two men but uh, whatever also he doesn't have skin anymore that's kind of weird <laughs> oh yeah. that was creepy yeah. not for me to judge but uh, also this, speaking of the communication mm-hmm. there was a really funny which I didn't even think about the first time I watched the movie but when he's sending his message back home like in the video recording center the background is like oh, this crazy it, green shit. <laughs> that felt so like dated. Yeah. It really yeah. felt like that? it felt like the original like backgrounds when you could FaceTime. Yes, people from that's your right. Computer or like yeah, yeah, the like, webcams. I'm in space. That's right. Yeah. I'm in Hawaii. <laughs> why wouldn't it just be like a gray background? Yeah, like, I, yeah. Why just not shoot the normal background? Right. Like so of the strange. Ship. It was yeah, no, very if odd. My, if my friend went to space and and <laughs> sent me a message back, I would I would love to see the spaceship. Maybe. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, like why would you think I would? That seems like a joke if you got that from your friend you'd be like okay i get it you're you know technologically advanced on a spaceship get over it (laughs) um okay so i again i i there's so much here that i have i have uh the the what I don't know what that space would be made out of that like gold material that's like protecting them from the heat I guess that's what they were implying I got this rocks right right <laughs> totally <laughs> moving on yeah, rock. no I mean so the reason you use gold or why the ship is gold right is you're trying to reflect light so the main thing that you're really so right you, once you start absorbing light effectively if you're a black surface versus a white surface. Um, once you start absorbing it, you have to then lose it to something else. So as much as you can reflect light, it's to your advantage. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you see these like reflective or a lot of spacecraft are gold or have a silver bl- you know, blankets or are painted white in, on one side. Um, so things like that can help you avoid getting right to, to taking on the heat to begin with. Okay. Uh, so your first line of defense is effectively reflected away from you. And then the second line is once you've, uh, you're going to have to take some heat, then try to dump it somewhere like that's not seeing a hot, right? So, so effectively look at a cold thing to lose heat, but try to reflect back as much of a, of a hot thing that as you can. That makes sense, because yeah, it's yeah. like less effort if it just immediately reflects. That's right, absolutely. find a mechanism to remove. Yeah, I mean, heat. right? Like, I mean, if you think about your warm, like, you know, car seat or whatever, on a on a day, I mean, it's the, the exact same thing. Which is, once it absorbs the heat, mm-hmm. it's it's going to get very warm. But if you put your sun shield up on your front window and it never sees direct sun, your seat's going to stay much colder, right? It's not the it's not the air in the car that's heating up the seat. It's actually the the, the sun's light. Yeah. So don't yeah. worry about it looking goofy, guys. Go out and get these reflective uh, sun yeah. panels. Okay? I mean, okay. So also, in you know, those car. emergency blankets are the same thing, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. those reflect. They're actually 
those emergency blankets are so thin. They're not actually protecting. They're not like your down jacket that's, you know, insulating you. They're only reflecting back the infrared from your body towards you. Huh. And so they're just bouncing, you know, kind of wavelengths back at you to keep you kind of warm, wow. which is then better than, of course, you know, just touching the ground and losing all your heat immediately. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it's that's mm-hmm. the, that's their motivation. Hmm. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. Uh, there's a, a line he says that they're going towards the coronal hole in the south polar cap of the sun. Yeah, keep did, talking dirty. To did me. that? <laughs> I'm interested in your coronal hole, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> did uh, did that make sense? Is that where you would I'm, throw a bomb? I'm certainly not a, a solar expert. I do know that the sun, like us, has right these has two poles and does have a magnetic field, and it very well maybe that that you know there are areas in which it's easier like you you don't have less of a surface layer or something that could damage a bomb on the way in i okay. but i'm not yeah that's that's beyond my area of expertise what is your area of expertise did you say this or did i no <laughs> i mean i said he was a systems um, engineer that's... yeah so i work on spacecraft uh, and the engineering side mostly and uh, the the domain that i work on the most is actually fault protection and autonomy which is how do we kind of imbue our spacecraft with the ability to take care of themselves um, and right autonomously do actions that are needed either to to get back in touch with us to let us do more of the fixing mm. or to establish kind of a safe state on board the spacecraft. So, so it's, it's like you're raising a child and that child is like, and you want the child to be self-sufficient a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Or I'm, I mean, in this case, I'd world. be the person working probably on the AI, right? Like yeah, yeah. I'd be the guy on earth who's just like, okay, it needs to be able to think about if you tilt the angle this much, you're going to see damage. Therefore, don't let them tilt the angle that much. Yeah. Or, you know, if you have Or you'd this, be the guy being like, maybe these panels are a bad idea because they're right. going to involve potential human it's it's true, though, right? Someone, yeah. I mean, like that is exactly what my job is on real spacecraft is to look at the parts and be like, well, you either want redundancy, like you want two layers, or you want to, you know, to double down on some of these things, like computers, so that in case one fails, you got a backup. Right, because the thing that was insane in that movie is like essentially the argument that they are making: if one of these hundreds of panels fails, we're fucked. Right, right. Sorry for cursing on yeah. your podcast. No, I don't fucking care. Yeah. He's a bad boy. He's the bad boy of science no, podcasting. No, I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, but seriously, it, it felt like that felt like a thing that would not have been allowed to exist. Right. And I mean, but to be right, the humans then chose, like, let's try to go for redundancy. Let's mm-hmm. pick up Icarus 1 because it improves our odds of right. doing something. So you selectively make those choices, mm-hmm. um, but you try to make choices that won't add more ways of failing, like moving parts. Yeah, well do you, uh, in some way then, do you empathize with the character? I know you're doing this here and like trying to create it before the spacecraft goes off, mm-hmm. but there was the character who like made a miscalculation that then affected the whole mission a yes. lot of lives. Sure, do, of course do I did. you have that fear? Oh, I mean, I, yeah. I, I know you're not doing this in the No, but of course, a good good chunk of my motivation, and that was the weird actually in the movie, that no one was double checking his, that nobody else on board was capable of like looking at his math and being like, oh, you made a mistake. Um, He double checked it and triple checked it himself. (laughs) I mean, that's not, yeah, that's not how it works uh, (laughs) here at least, but I I get that they have fewer people and maybe they're all too busy. Um, But I, yeah, I, I mean, I do sympathize because at some level, I do live in a fear that, and, and not just in my job, but at, you know any of the jobs that I've held over time um, working on spacecraft, that like it's going to be my mistake that somehow costs us, you know, the, the mission, right? That right. like, w- w- and it's not. I don't have to worry about human lives. I don't have to worry about saving the, the planet. And in, in my case, but it's still. Oh, I worked with hundreds of people for, and you know, I don't know, eight, ten years on this project. I don't want to be the one who ruins it for hundreds of people and, you know, maybe potentially like, right, we lose jobs or do other things too. So, but that's also why you have this double check and triple check externally, right? Like I do my 
here's what my design should be. And someone's like, have you thought of this? And they should have been like, hey, did you think about, you know, the angle of approach to the sun and how that's going to change? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But right. you have people checking your work. So Absolutely. It shouldn't right. fall yeah. on you. Yeah, it was also yourself. weird to me that they just let him do it by himself. They were like, we're all going to go to bed. You go ahead and do this daring maneuver on your own. Like, And then the alarms are like, oh, it went terribly wrong. Yeah, yeah. and what? he just forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I forgot about the shield part. Yeah. I forgot what do you want from me. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, maybe to tell us you're doing it? Yeah. Like, did, did you not Maybe tell we anyone? can just go through a checklist yeah, together. Yeah, talk about it. Yeah. Um, I have a couple fun uh, sun questions that I was hoping you would try and guess okay. the answers yeah, yeah, yeah. to. Oh, wow. Oh, um, now I'm going to... I already told you guys I was dumb. Uh, so let's prove it. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the sun alone contains what percentage of the total mass of the solar system? Do, do I you don't know, know the answer. I actually don't. I have a, I have a guess. Do you know the answer? Okay. I have a guess, but cool. I'm And let's both say our guess is on three. <laughs> no, Brad. Okay. Wait, say it one more time. The, the, the sun alone contains what percentage of the total mass of the solar system? I don't even have a frame of reference. <laughs> well, you know what the solar system is. Like, okay, yes, I know what a solar system is. What our solar system is. Yes, it is. The uh, sun yeah, is, is how much of that percentage yes. of the mass. Right. A big percentage. Sure. I would say uh, 60, 70, 80, <laughs> 95%. Bob Eggs is just <laughs> going thumbs up. Go up. No, 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 no. He's obviously not signaling to me in any way. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Yeah, you're okay, I'm going. I'm going 87%. Okay, and... I'm going to guess 98%. Yeah, he's closer. It's, uh, wait, it's, you said no when I said 96. I said higher. I said okay, higher. Yeah, yeah. It's 99.8%. Okay. Oh, 99.8. And you so, know what? Yeah. There's no way to prove this. Uh, <laughs> it's immeasurable. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a stunning fact. I couldn't believe that to be true. So what you're talking about is if you took everything and you collapsed, right, just like you think of the atom with the electron mm-hmm. orbiting it, which is uh, Which wrong. I think about all the yeah, time. Yeah, obviously. As a, yeah. as a joke. But, uh, this morning. Yeah, I was like, oh, boy, you were so wrong. Um... <laughs> But if you right, if you collapsed essentially the entire solar system, it would basically be a very tiny ball, and then the sun. Right, uh, that next makes to it. yeah a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay, I didn't think about the whole uh, the mass part because I'm an idiot. Okay, so here's the <laughs> other question, uh, question for you, Brad. How many Earths can fit inside the sun? Well, obviously it is um, <laughs> infinite because <laughs> infinite time is a construct and. <laughs> We're all going to die someday, and I'm just going to die a little bit stupider than I wanted to, because I didn't read enough. Anyway. You still um, got time. Yeah, I can't read. Oh. I have my glasses off. Um, uh, okay, how many Earths can fit inside the sun? Are yes. we talking a million? I'm, I'm not going to tell you any answers. Uh, I'm going to say, well, with the information I just got. Yeah, right, that, that's that a big clue, yeah. 99. I'm going to say. <laughs> Doing the math. You can do some math. I mean, yeah. I don't have my yeah. calculator with me. Um, oh, here, take mine. On phone. <laughs> I'm going to say 500,000. Okay. Oh, that seems like a good guess. Um, I'll, I'll go with a, mil- a million. A million is correct. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Right. I wanted to be half right. <laughs> one half, that's pretty one good, half of one right. I mean, all right, order of magnitude. That's, yeah, yeah. That's pretty, you're pretty close. Um, uh, Brad, you did great. I think you just nailed it. I think I that think was, that was two for two. Yeah, two for two. Um, it it's, uh, says here the sun is almost a perfect sphere and that it's the closest thing to a perfect sphere observed in nature. Did you know that? I did not know that. Oh, I didn't know that either. I mean, that's no surprise to anybody. But no, I found that fascinating. I thought that was really crazy and strange. And why are like not other planets perfect spheres or are they weird shaped rocks? I think most of, I mean, if you have enough gravity, you you generally 
pull yourself into a, the shape of a sphere, right? So okay. that's one of the defining characteristics of, of planets or larger bodies is that like, a lot of the asteroid belt is just kind of chunks of rock, and then mm-hmm. some of them, when they get enough mass, right, the gravity starts pulling all the things, and it makes it kind of form into the ball shape. Okay. But it's imperfect, and I get, I'm assuming that sun either because it's gaseous or just so massive that it really has the ability to overcome any sort of you know minor uh, uh, differences between the like the various areas of it and cause it to still be very spherical. Okay. I also do yeah. feel like there's a fun fat joke somewhere in here. Yeah, I yeah. can't find it yet, but yeah. something about the mass and the sphere. Anyway, we'll wait. <laughs> give me a few days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Takes a lot of, you know, I have to go through the whole process. Um, the sun is currently a yellow dwarf star. I was wondering if you knew the different quali- of qualifications that. No, I mean, I red. yeah, there's red dwarfs. Right. And, yeah, and there's, lar- I mean, there's larger stars. I, as far as I recall, our sun is like a, Fairly close to average star, but I don't know mm. a lot of the details compared to okay. the other stars and what makes them special. That makes sense. Uh, oh, I have a game here. Do you guys want to play a quick game? Yeah. I would love to. Do we have time for that? I feel like there's a lot to what talk about. What if we about, both said no? <laughs> just like, I'd no. be like, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, let's play a quick game, and then I want to talk a little bit about solar energy as well. Mm. I don't know what you guys know about that. Um, but this game is called Spot the Sun. Spot, spot, spot the sun. Spot, spot the sun. And it has nothing to do with uh, science. So oh, the game yes. is uh, more for Brad. Uh, <laughs> oh, but again, it's about God. famous uh, dads and famous sons mm. of theirs. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, here we go. I, this is more of a speed game. Okay, so whoever great. can say it faster okay. will win each round. Okay? Yes. So I want you to name, just, just to be clear here, the father and the son. Okay. Mm. Okay. This son is taking after his pops with songs like Plastic and acting in films such as After Earth, The Karate Kid, and The Pursuit of Happiness. Will Smith and Jaden Smith. That is correct. Oh, nice. And, <laughs> Who's uh, the genius now? <laughs> uh, speaking of genius, have you seen Will Smith as the genie in the new uh, oh, trailer? terrible. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, I won't come a choice. Why is his back so strong? Ripped? A strong choice. <laughs> a strong choice. I always imagine the genie is gaseous. You know? He's like, why does he have a ripped back? I don't know. It looked very and he looked strange like he to me. He was face swapped in the original, like from the <laughs> it, original. You know what it reminds? It really reminded me of. Uh, do you remember like the mummy when they put the the rock, the rock. face mm-hmm. on the scorpion, scorpion yes. thing? Yes. yes, that's kind of what I the vibe I yeah. got. And you know what? No one liked that. <laughs> no, it didn't. Everyone <laughs> it didn't made fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> so shit move there. Uh, no offense, whoever made that. Okay, this talented Canadian played Dr. Jason Seaver on the sitcom Growing Pains, and his son sang the number one hit, Blurred Lines. Alan Thicke and Robin Thicke. The Thicks. The Thicks, the thicks. you got it. I'll thicks. give it to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, we're one and one. I think you were just holding off, actually. You were, like, making eye contact with me, like, is he going to say it? <laughs> was, that was very kind of yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> wow, what a friendly game yeah. here today. All right, uh, this Brooklyn native is known for his role as Frank Costanza on Seinfeld, and his son's movies have grossed more than $2.6 billion. Jerry Stiller and Ben Stiller. That is correct. Not yes. remember his name. Uh, First. This dad is nicknamed America's dad and is mostly known for his role in Cloud Atlas and his son was fantastic in the first season of Fargo. Tom Hanks and Colin Hanks. Yes, God, that is correct. Colin the Hanks. Hanks. Yeah. The Hanksies. The Hanksies, that's their known. <laughs> um, okay. This son played his father in Straight Outta Compton. Oh. The Cubes? <laughs> yes. 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 yes, I'll take it. 
<laughs> well the played. cubes. Uh, ice cube and what's this uh, kid's name? O'Shea. O'Shea Cube. <laughs> <laughs> and O'Shea Cube Jr. Uh, okay, last one. This singer-songwriter is known for classics such as Like a Rolling Stone and The Times They Are Changing and his son is in a band. Jacob Dylan and Bob Dylan. Yes. Okay. The, wallflowers. the Wallflowers. The Wallflowers is the name of the band. Yeah. That's one correct. <laughs> that was one of the first albums I ever bought. Wow, really? Yeah. Great one. Won two Grammys, from what I recall. Wow. Uh, so, but we've come a long way. <laughs> all right. So. Me and Cinderella. Yeah. <laughs> Put it all together. We'll do a, a cover yeah. that we can release during the credits uh, of this uh, podcast. There'll be some extra, <laughs> yeah, extra bonus content. For anyone who supports on Patreon. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to make a quick note here about the dust, which made me kind of paranoid. You know when they go into mm, the Icarus mm-hmm. one? And he says that it's like human skin yeah. is the dust. So that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, I was worried about that. But it says here that he says that 80% of the dust being human skin uh, is an urban myth and that common household dust on Earth is composed of many different things and none of them individually account for anything close to 80%. Uh, and the whole crew there was dead so that they wouldn't be making new skin cells. Right. Mm. So the dust. Also, there just... felt like far more dust in volume than there would have been humans in volume. Like there was not yeah. that much humans on board to create that much dust. <laughs> yeah, like if you, you graded yeah. them, yeah. Yeah. If you <laughs> them right. with a grader, they would create one big pile of dust. It would be a pretty big pile of dust. Like right. Yeah, one pile of but dust. But not like a, not enough to cover rooms. <laughs> no, no, it was all over the place. Okay, so uh, I, I wanted to ask also about the Ice Age and something called the Little Ice Age. Do you know about these No, two I'm things? not. Okay, yeah. uh, I don't know if it even relates to the sun burning less. Some people have claimed that there's like a correlation to periods of time where the sun isn't like burning as strong and that we feel the effects on earth i don't know it's it's supposedly a debatable issue okay uh but but do you think then i guess my question is like was the ice age correlated to anything with the sun or is that just like something the earth was going it through? it seems more unrelated? likely to me that it's earth related and not so much sun related but okay that's, like a I climate mean, change ordeal yeah because i can't imagine the sun's variance is so great that the, the temperatures on Earth are going through that largest swing. Got you. Uh, As we saw in the movie there towards the end where Sydney is all freezing. That's because, right. Yeah. I mean, that makes more sense. Or Day After Tomorrow. Yeah, which, right. right. So Great movie. Perfectly accurate. Fell in love with uh, Emmy Rossum. <laughs> sure. <laughs> she was in the Day yeah, After no, she Tomorrow. she was. I mean, I understand. Jake yeah. Gyllenhaal's love interest, and then she was on Shameless. Mm-hmm. And you're still in love with her. Still in love with her. Met her at a party once. She uh, was not... She wasn't in talking. She, to me. Was like, she, it wasn't mutual. Is yeah. what you were saying. Okay. I was like, you didn't see me around town. <laughs> Maybe she didn't know how you felt. Now she'll listen to the podcast and yeah. then she'll write you, dear Emmy. Okay. You want to? Do you want to no, say something? No, to her? No. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Uh, okay, so yeah, solar power uh, is the most abundant energy source on Earth, and uh, I, it says solar energy hitting the Earth. There's like enough of it every hour to meet all of humanity's power needs mm-hmm. for an entire year, and so. We're moving towards solar energy. Yeah. Do you think we're moving there fast enough? Can we be doing more? Should more people get solar panels? How? What's your take on that? I mean, I think it's. I think we we should definitely be striving for more. It's it is a free source of energy. Um, I mean, panels as great as they are, and I I, I think that's the best solution we have today. Uh, they they have their own inefficiencies. I mean, right, you're capturing I think twenty ish percent, twenty five percent of the the actual power that's coming in from the sun, and they have you know manufacturing them isn't trivial. Mm-hmm. But that's you know I mean in terms of what we're looking at compared to the other options that we're looking at on Earth, I think that's one of the best options we have. Okay. Um, there's plenty of power. There's all these you know kind of wild schemes, of course, of like could you beam power from orbit? 
like create large orbital platforms to like reflect power into the things like that. Okay, that's cool. Um, I mean, with with you know the movie specifically, of course, you have you know as you get closer, the the intensity goes up. It's it's you know it's proportional to the the square of the distance. So going right twice as far from Earth means that you only get a quarter of the power, mm-hmm. and going a little you know halfway between Earth and the Sun means you know you're getting four times the the power. So it's, uh, you know, if you think about like Icarus, they would have an abundance of solar power mm. in okay. our context. But I, I mean, earthwise it's, yeah, we get a lot. It's, I can't remember how many Watts per square meter, but you have a, you can generate a fair amount of power and you start seeing it. Like I think when you fly across the country, you start seeing some of the cool solar facilities they are building up. Yeah. With the, the, mm-hmm. the concentrator ones always look a little scary, but cool to me where they have all the mirrors point towards the, yeah. the center thing. And just like, we're just going to burn things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> looks great. We're just using it to cook. <laughs> yeah. I made one of those solar ovens when I was a kid. Do you guys ever build one of those? No. no. Like you, you basically put a bunch of mirrors, you like aim it into a box, you try to insulate the box mm-hmm. and then you try to like, you know, basically you're just using try sun. Yeah. Cook an egg or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it took like 40 minutes to cook like one tiny thing in there, but I mean, it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Fun. Just using the, the sun's uh, rays. Yeah, you can buy them on Amazon now too if you don't want to build your own. I think well, okay, probably so not very effective, but uh, just search that guys on Amazon <laughs> Solar Box or whatever. <laughs> I think it's like a solar oven. Solar, I think oven. Like a solar, solar oven. oven. Yeah. Right, that's what I meant. Yeah, uh, for sure. So yeah, I mean, I uh, I read that this. They, there was like a disaster uh, in Puerto Rico with the hurricane and that Tesla went over there and they were able to like very quickly uh, make solar power and, and, and you know, dr- you know, get energy and help a bunch of people like that. So I thought that was like fascinating and that might be a solution for, you know, third world issues that they can just harness solar energy. No, it's a great. I mean, it makes one of the nice things about solar compared to like you can think about even the larger plants and even if they're clean, right, they take a huge amount of infrastructure to build like a nuclear plant mm-hmm. or, you know, even coal plants, everything. They're not, you can't do that on a micro scale. And the nice thing about solar is that you can put down, a, you know, a panel and a battery mm-hmm. and effectively immediately start powering. And then you have another one right next to it and you can get more power. And of course, the concentrators do require an actual commitment to have a center tower and a bunch yeah, so of mirrors. But all the small the ones, like you're talking about, you know, I can put on my roof here. I can right. put it on top of a parking right. garage uh, over there, right? It's really easy to do it at a small scale that's, still pretty economical, mm-hmm. um, especially as the cost of the other, you know, resources goes up. Uh, and so that, you're right, you can go to uh, Puerto Rico and you can, as soon as you put the first one down, it's generating power at that moment, right? And you, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So what's the, is, are there cons to solar energy? I mean, why not, you know, press the accelerator here? Um, I think that, you know, honestly, the, with, with almost all these technologies, at the end of the day, it's, is it cheaper? Does it become cheaper at some point than, you know, doing natural gas or coal or things like that. I right? read that so it was very cheap. It's so so that, that is one of the reasons why you've seen an explosion of solar yeah. power is because it's finally become cost competitive okay. with those things, right? And if you incentivized it, right, as a as a government, you yeah. know, which which we're starting to see some of, yes. uh, then you you really do bring it down into the same range as why not? It does again. It does require an upfront cost compared to like someone like me who's just like I just can pull a cable to my house, right? Versus I have to install a you know a twenty k mm-hmm. solar panel. Um, it's, it's still difficult to have that upfront money, but that's a great place for governments to be like, oh, we'll have you know solar loans, right? And when you which you there know, are a bunch yeah, of so like, that's that's right. So I mean, yeah. that's the kind of thing that you can really bring it down. So like, oh, okay, well, I'll pay off this loan because I'm going to be saving, 
you know, 20 bucks a month on my electricity bill from doing this. So, uh, yeah, I'm all for moving it forward. Progressive guy. Yeah. And you see a lot of countries doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it depends. Like right now, it varies state by state, right? Mm -hmm. In the U.S., Mm -hmm. certain states do have solar subsidies. Right. But it also, a lot of that has to do with states where there aren't as many vested oil interests and there aren't as many. Like it really, a lot of this comes down to just who's giving money to who. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's all the economics behind it, right? Right. Well, California's leading the way. Uh, we are like heavily in front uh, by any other state, uh, which is very cool. But I think China is like putting the U.S. to shame yeah. as far as solar energy is uh, concerned. Well, it's. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, I'm going to say it. one of the advantages of having essentially, uh, you know, a, a, a political system like that is that you can tell the whole country to do something, yeah. right? It's not a not yeah. really that much of a choice. The government says we're going to. We're going to do this across the board, and it gets done. Which I mean, I'm not advocating for that government system, but um, but it is. It certainly has its advantages, and I, I think we can do it in the United States too. Just got to convince people. I know California is, is you know trying to legislate more of it, and that has its own problems, of course, because you know if people are like I want to buy my first house, but now they're like, well, all new houses have to have solar. That adds another 20k or 30k to the house. Exactly, it's, it's tough yeah. on you. Like, so you want to make sure that those rules don't. Make it such that it, you know it's a insurmountable burden, or right, or maybe again, yeah, it's like, to right. who, yeah, because like the initial infrastructure cost, right. of like adding all of that, and then there's like you know if you just get a bunch of panels and it's like and it's and it's like individuals have them, then it's like okay, then you need the place to store the power, and that's you need like the place to store, cost. and it's actually can be a real challenge for um, you know the large institutions. So like the you know like the um, the PG and E's and all the you know the electric companies. They're not really, if everybody started generating their own power, right, they would go out of business very quickly and they would not be able to provide the power for the people who could not afford solar. Mm-hmm. So there is a, what, you know, essentially what you have is a, what I call, it's a systems engineering problem, right? Just look at the big system. You want to slowly move into the solar infrastructure, but in the meantime, since not everybody can come immediately to solar, you have to do something about the fact that we do have coal plants and we do have other, you know, power sources and those are needed by still a large number of people. You can't just right. be like, sorry, you didn't move into the solar era with us. Yeah, you know, yeah. you don't have electricity at your home anymore. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be tough. And, and, you, and you can't just be like, oh, we're going to charge you eight times as much for electricity because that's also not very, yeah. it's, not, it's not really the, the fair thing rude. to do. Yeah. Now, I want to um, focus on the fact for a little bit that mm-hmm. you are a communist, you said? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's no. explore that. <laughs> um, no, we're, uh, we're wrapping up here. I had one more thing that I thought was uh, interesting and wanted your guys' uh, thoughts on. So uh, Killian Murphy, who I adore and mm. you mentioned earlier. Beautiful blue eyes. Beautiful yeah. blue eyes. Beautiful man. Uh, has claimed that his involvement in Sunshine converted him from agnosticism to atheism. Uh, they oh. went through all sorts of like underwater training and space training and stuff, which like I don't even know if it's really and that made required. him an atheist. Uh, I no, I just uh, on one hand I feel like I just want to make the point of like. Sometimes it's cool when they make these actors do like really intense training that actual astronauts have to do. And mm-hmm. sometimes, and in this movie in particular, I just felt like, I don't know if that's required. Do you really need to go through all these months of uh, going up there and stuff? Do you think that that helped them in the film? And then my other question was just like, do you guys believe in God, the sun God? Do you, or were you watching <laughs> that was this? My favorite, line, that, my favorite line of the movie is, I, I've thought about this line hundreds of times <laughs> since 2007, which is when the captain of Icarus One shows back up to murder everybody, mm-hmm. and he looks at the guy and goes, I've been talking to God for seven years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Respond to whichever you want. Um, so, I mean, I... It, 
that movie, this movie in particular, Sunshine Rain, there's not actually a lot of scenes where they're in, you know, zero gravity or microgravity. Uh, very rarely, most of their scenes are essentially done in, in, you know, what looks like Earth normal gravity right. from the spinning part of the spacecraft. So it doesn't seem to add a lot of value. I can imagine for maybe a movie like a Gravity, right, where there's yeah. so much of it spent, it, it, that would be more worthwhile. Yeah. That being said, right, as a layperson, I imagine if I did go into acting, it would be really awesome and I would be way more likely to do a movie if they told me I was going to be able to spend, you know, like a month of training and, you know, scuba whatever suits and like do all these things just because it sounds kind of cool. Yeah, it does sound cool. Um, so, I, I, you know. And I like that, like, Killian Murphy, they said, went and like hung out with uh, physicists and I don't know, like a whole. He's, but he also department. seems like the kind who would want to, right? Yeah, like, right, he somehow right, seems right. like that thinking man who's like, I want to. Yeah, get you know, in there. I, yeah, but I do is, think, yeah. I do think, like, conversely, okay, maybe it made him an atheist because it was so intense or whatever, or I'm not I don't sure. know yeah. why yeah. he became an atheist, but. I do think that there is, but essentially what the movie is about, or like what also what Danny Boyle likes to do, because he also did this in 28 Days Later, is he takes a standard type of movie, whether it be a zombie movie or a space movie, and his major thing that he's looking at is how do these crazy circumstances affect humanity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And so I guess as like you would maybe want your artists or actors to go through that mm-hmm. in order to like actually have an idea of how insane this undertaking would be, yeah, right, right. That's you know, true. and like what it would do to you physically, mentally, emotionally to one go through all the physical stuff, but also be trapped in such a confined area. Area and how does that? Because like some of the more yeah. interesting scenes were about the dude who you know became suicidal, or even them just mm-hmm. fighting over not yeah. being able. Like you know, it's just those the, the cascading mental breaks. Yes, I saw I saw it the other day. Just in the I saw I was in the uh, post office, mm-hmm. and one of their two computers went down, mm-hmm. and everybody starts slowly losing their mind. And I was like, <laughs> you know what? I'm Killian Murphy. Uh, <laughs> I'm <gonna> stay chill. <laughs> I, I, I should yeah. be in this. Yeah. I should be in the movie because I've seen. But you see all these like little moments of humanity, and that's like kind of a lot of like what this the the movie's about. It's actually yeah. a really good point. It sort of ties it back into the initial. It's not a traditional sci-fi action movie in any way. It's really you're absolutely right. It's a case study of humanity. Mm-hmm. And like that's I mean again it's a, it's a, it's an impressive, you know, array of actors who are all very talented mm-hmm. uh, and you you're really watching this this human drama unfold right on a remote spaceship but it, but it could have been virtually anywhere to have the same you know f- effect right it could have been an underwater you know yeah. research station or right. it could have been anything it's just it, you need that sense of yeah, isolation they, they shoot a bomb into the heart of Poseidon you, yeah right I mean, but that's the thing right like, anything that just didn't allow them to talk to home no but seriously would have worked and yes. it's and so that's kind of but it, you're right it's absolutely it's a study of, of humanity even the way that they shot them inside of the spacesuits, mm-hmm. like they had this like low angle but you could and them covered in sweat yeah you're like oh okay so he Here's the way, like the science of the situation, like the sweating and like the the physical constraints of being in space would affect your yeah. mentality. And yeah. that those shots with the, them in this are very like you, they do make you feel claustrophobic yeah. and uncomfortable and hot, along with you know the scene and everything else. Right? They really give you that sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there were some of the yeah. I mean, some of the camera work was a little weird, but that some of those choices are are really dead on and for for conveying the emotion. I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so funny. I mean, even just the monologue that the former captain does about like what his life has been like there. It like literally makes you want it to be something kind of profound. I know. But I think it's like maybe the point is just that you lose your mind if you're in space yeah. by yourself yeah, for a while staring was, at the sun. That dude was losing his crap. Um, 
but weirdly was strong. But then when they touch him, he's very sensitive because he's all burned up. Yeah, and there was kind of a. They confusing... literally ripped his arm off. Yeah, ripped, <laughs> ripped his yeah. arm off. <laughs> it was just like what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> um, okay, we're we're running out of time. Uh, but before we wrap it up, um, you guys have something you'd like to promote, tell people about. Uh... Yeah, as the official uh, NASA, NASA guy here, <laughs> I'd like to promote um, space and yeah. learning. Oh, that's nice. Brad Solnitz are here. <laughs> I work at NASA. <laughs> Sounds so official. Uh, no, I have nothing. Watch me oh. do stand-up sometime. Come to a live show. There you uh, go. In April, my Fast and the Furious musical will be premiering. Wait, are you kidding me? I'm writing a Fast and the Furious oh, musical I, right you now. absolutely need to invite me. I will tell you this. I have watched, <laughs> one, these movies many times. But two, we really were going through a period where we would have these telecons late at night with, uh, with our partners. Um, overseas, and we would just watch the Fast and Furious movies before each telecom. We're like, what do you do between like 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. if you're going to be stuck at work? Mm-hmm. So I'm tell you 100% what. in. It would be crazy yes. if all these scientists came to my Fast yeah. and the Furious music. Oh, I think there's going to be a lot. a dream. I think there's going to be a lot. Make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Where's the musical? Where we haven't decided where we're putting it up yet. We just, okay. I just would guess it's where April. could where, where can people find out about where it's going to be? Uh, that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. My Instagram, at Brad Lives Dreams. Brad Lives Dreams. Yeah, at Brad Lives Dreams on Instagram. Come see me do stand up. Come see my show, Bruaha, the comedy show, Drinking Game. Yep, yep. Uh, Brilliant show. Yeah, any of that. Great. Mostly, I just want you to support my friend Ethan. He's not doing well oh, right now. I'm, uh, I'm in a rough spot, and I'm glad you said something. <laughs> uh, no, lovely to have you, Brad. And uh, I've seen Brad many times. A fantastic show. I'm sure this musical is going to be great. I've seen a couple of those tunes also, and it's so fantastic. You're going to love it. I'm excited, yeah. honestly. Like I, I'm legitimately looking forward to April now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. April's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. it better <laughs> happen, though. Seriously. Well, oh, it's going to happen. Okay, good. Yeah, just yeah, it's going down. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Where can people find out about you? Um, so I'm... Tweets out loud on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, it's a great name, I think. Honestly. Yep, tweets That's out really loud. Good. Yeah, all one word. Um, and uh, so wait, your tweets out loud on Instagram also? Yeah, because I was lazy. I was like, well, why have two different <laughs> names? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense on Instagram. So that's even better. Great. Um, that's it's just a long con. Uh, <laughs> and then honestly, uh, you know, I, I will. Uh, uh, despite not, of course, officially representing NASA the way that Brad does, um, <laughs> I yeah encourage you to check out uh, the the NASA.gov website. There's all sorts of cool things uh, going. On. We're just, I mean, this is in my mind the golden era of space. I I always grew up thinking like Apollo was the best, and we were done. And now I'm just like, we are, you know, we got robots at different planets. We've got a robot, you know, going towards the sun. Yeah. Um, it's just an awesome time to, to do it. And, and NASA has been really phenomenal about putting all the pictures and data up on the internet and kind of almost, you know, real time. Nice. So it's, it's a fun way to participate and just, you know, you don't have to know the science to, we'll bring you along, but just enjoy the, the ride. It's pretty cool. Great. That's awesome. Love it. Um, so uh, our, our, EP, our EP, of course, Brett Kushner, uh, has also brought up uh, a very interesting fact, which is that in what year was this? 20... 2012. 2012. Yeah. You were uh, caught on camera, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. You were, it was part of a launch. Uh, part of the, the Curiosity rover landing. Curiosity rover landing. Yeah. And uh, and you became sort of a like a meme. Meme uh, is the right word. Definitely. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you, became, you became a bit of a meme. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Obama even commented. Commented, and and it was actually a very like uh, from what I understand like uh, complimentary thing because he was saying that NASA is now like very modern and very yeah. cool and it's not just a bunch of like white guys in glasses anymore that you got this cool mohawk guy and he was referring to you because you had a mohawk because you do like a different hairstyle for a bunch of different reasons yeah so, so uh, throughout the the life of Curiosity um, I, I mean I had a mohawk for for most of it. 
Um, but I would like shave different things in the side of my head based on what was going on. So when we started doing our first big tests, mm-hmm. it's all here on Earth, but just kind of preparing ourselves for the launch um, and, and subsequent landing, I would start shaving and like it's, you know, system test two. And I'd put like ST2 on the side of my head. And then for launch, I had my hair look like, you know, like it was red to orange to sort of look like a rocket, you know. That's fun. Uh, yeah, yeah. that's cool. So but it was a fun thing. And then, uh, the, you know, the... I, the the good news about being on a product for so long and and, uh, and having such a good relationship with everybody was the my boss actually sent out an email just prior to landing of what my hair should look like and so the the options were to shave it of course um, I think red for Mars and a red white and blue uh, and so with the, the the winning vote was the red white and blue so hmm. I had the little white stars on the side of my head and red and blue and the and the mohawk itself that's awesome. nice and yeah. so now you still go get lunch with Obama all the time all or? the time yeah yeah it's great you know we just <laughs> hop on the jet. Obama actually up. now cuts his hair. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. No, but I, you know, it's it's really cool, and it, you know, to that point, I think it's been really neat because uh, even you know, even in his uh, his post presidential career, right, the, with the opportunity after 15 years, um, you know, finally kind of being being finished, he still was excited to to tweet and you know be like, "Don't be sad. This is a you know, let's celebrate the amazing accomplishments in science that were done in this 15 years." So absolutely, yeah. it was really great to I think have that experience with a, such a science positive president. Yeah. yeah. Just like the, this new one. All right. <laughs> Just ends with very sad music. Uh, okay. Thank you guys so much. I had fun. Hope you did. And yes. I'll see you next time. Yay. Yay. Thanks. Bad Science is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our social media producers are Kate Baker and EJ Gullet, And the Icaristive producer is Brett Kushner. If you'd be so kind to leave us an iTunes review, we'd very much appreciate it. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Bad Science Show. That's at Bad Science Show. And if you want to write us an email, you can do that as well. We try to respond to every email. That's badscienceatseeker.com, badscienceatseeker.com. And we'll see you next week where we will be talking about Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan. See you then. Bye.